Joseph by Kamala Mackandaya. It's a sort of slice of life drama and set in the 1930s in India and it tells the success and struggles of several generations of the same family, their friends, their acquaintances, uh, people who make life easier for them, people who make life hard for them, their happy moments and their sad moments. It's a really interesting, uh, sort of all-encompassing book, and so I'm sure you will be able to find something in there that you can relate to or that you can um, sort of get your teeth into. But let's have a look at it today, and I'll talk about what I liked about it. Okay, folks, so let's get into it. Nectar in a sieve. We are introduced to our main character, um, our sort of uh, protagonist and narrator and the kind of matriarch of the family, uh, Rukmanu, um, and her her sort of marriage to Nathan is the, is the first thing that we see in the book. Um, so Rukmanu is a young Indian girl and she marries Nathan, who is an adult farmer, which is problematic to us now in uh, 2020 um but potentially in 1930s india they might have had different views on those things contextually i genuinely don't know is the honest answer if if that would have been frowned upon as much as it is now but the character of nathan is generally quite a, a wholesome and positive character so i suspect it was and uh, if not normal then at least accepted so and that's kind of the first big milestone that we see in this book. Um, we do learn a little bit about uh, Rukmanu's parents, her mother and her father. Her father was very eager to um, teach her how to read, which was uncommon for them to um, have a, a woman from a fairly poor background learn to read. So he was kind of quite progressive in that way. And, and we're about to tap onto one of the first things that I really liked about the book, um, Sorry, I haven't even outlined the, the structure of the episode. I'm going to briefly summarise the plot uh, and then we'll we'll sort of identify what I found um, really likeable about it, reasons to check it out, and then maybe have a look at sort of the cultural impact of it. Um, so get to get back on to, to sort of summarising it. So one of the first things I really liked about it, all of the characters in this book are sort of grey areas, I suppose. Everybody, every single character pretty much i'm trying to think if there's any exceptions to this now every character had something about them that i really liked and something about them that i really didn't um it's very true to real life isn't it you know nobody in real life is perfect but nobody in real life is completely bad either everybody has that kind of uh yin and yang kind of setup where we have some good in us some bad in us so it's a very honest book in that way um so we see uh, Rukmanu, or Ruku as uh, Nathan calls her, we see them get married and we are introduced to Nathan's kind of land. He's a farmer on a paddy field and he works very hard and some years they have good harvests and some years not so bad. When the harvest's good, they're able to make dal and um, have sort of nice vegetables and things like that to go with the rice. When the harvest is not so good, they live on plain rice and they also drink rice water. So. They are a very poor family, but they really try to um, make a go of it. Now, there was a very big emphasis on having a son, a male heir, back in those days. So when Rukmanu's first uh, child is born, Irrawaddy, or it gets shortened to Ira, named after the river Irrawaddy, um, they're, they're a little bit disappointed. And 
Um, Roku really wants a mailer and really wants to please Nathan in that way. So enter um, one of the more complex characters in the story, uh, Kenilworth. They show him it's a Kenny. He is a traveling white doctor who comes to the village. And honestly, I couldn't get my head around him. Um, and I could never decide throughout the whole book, even when I finished it, if I liked him or not. He's very pompous and arrogant and brusque and rude. But he also is genuinely helpful and genuinely goes above and beyond when he doesn't need to. In some ways, he reminded me of, uh, in in England, I don't know, obviously, where, you, where you're listening from today, but in England we have a show called um, Doc Martin with uh, Martin Clunes, which is about a doctor in Cornwall who's a good doctor, but he's very rude. Um, similar kind of thing with Kenny. I could never decide if he was supposed to be autistic, um, and, and that's why maybe he, he struggled with the social niceties, or whether he was just an extremely pragmatic, practical person who just thought, well, if I'm doing my job, I don't need to bother with conversation, or whether it was a bit of a hang-up from the imperialistic attitude that he was white and therefore was a bit racist and saw himself as superior. I could never quite glean that from the text. So he was a great character, and he's one of Ruku's kind of closest confidants. She often goes to him for help whenever he comes to town. And there's a very complex relationship between them um, of almost mutual respect in, in different ways. Um, but to get back to kind of the plot of, of the story. So the early part of the story just talks about uh, Ruku's issues with infertility and Kenny helps her overcome that. And then she... Um, well, she and Nathan, it takes two, um, have a lot of children together, um, including some boys uh, towards the end of that. Um, and all of the children have their own storylines, their own personalities, their own things that they do. Era was my favourite, but there is also a good storyline. Well, not necessarily good, but a very relatable, sympathetic storyline with Raja, one of the boys, um, and he, he runs into some complications down the line. Um, earliest signs that there are going to be, there is going to be conflict in this book. Um, unannounced, uh, a kind of consort of um, British guards with with Indian uh, kind of workers come to what is essentially a very small farming village and start to build an enormous building with no explanation. And then they go away. So straight away, we know something is wrong there. It's insidious because at first that seems fairly banal. It's strange, but we can't see how it's going to cause any harm, um, which is often the way that the British Empire worked, or, well, the, the European Empire, I should say, more accurately, because um, I don't think any European nation was entirely innocent in all of that business, but that's often the way that that worked, is that... Um, the imperial forces would go over and appear to be providing something and appear innocuous and all of a sudden before you know it the population are enslaved and being exploited which is largely what happens here in a very sort of insidious underhanded way that we start to see that uh, the building we find out is a tannery um, so where they make leather and the men from the village start to go and work there and at first that's not so bad some of Roku's sons go and work there. Um, although there is an issue with, um, I believe, 
I can't remember if it was this or if it was about one of them wanting to go and be a servant in a manor. They had the um, caste system in India at the time, and your caste denoted your role in society. So it was very hierarchical. Um, I, I haven't researched it extensively, but I believe it's a, a classist sort of system, and it was to do with your birthright and your heritage. So if you were born in a certain caste, my impression was you stayed in that caste and you weren't going to get promoted anywhere. Uh, which is, you know, quite harsh. Um, but so the tannery opens and the, the some of the men start working at the tannery, including some of uh, Rucker and Nathan's family. And it gets complicated. It starts to get more exploitative. The wages um, go down and some of the men walk out, but they realize they're going to be very easily replaceable because the harvest has been very poor um, and we just start to see more and more exploitation by the landowners and things like that. And that just sort of imperialist stroke venture capitalist, etc., etc., kind of vibe starts to bleed in and, and ruin, again, a little bit like things fall apart. A village that wasn't perfect, had its faults, but it was doing okay. They were getting by. And then the imperialists come and make everything worse. Um, so things fall apart, probably a good um, counterpoint to read this things fall apart you see the the Nigerian uh, picture with, with the Igbo tribes I um, after doing that episode I said Igbo and I was watching some interviews with uh, Chinua Achebe who wrote the book and I heard him say Igbo so I realized I've been saying it wrong so uh, retrospective apologies for that but yeah you see the struggles with the Igbo people uh, and their first experiences of colonialism and things fall apart and you see the kind of Indian perspective of that were um Imperial forces, I think, have taken root by this stage, but they start to bleed into the surrounding sort of rural areas where maybe they hadn't been touched as much before. Um, so we get an insight into a lot of um, manual labour and jobs from kind of farming to working in the tannery to breaking stones in the quarry and getting um, so many uh, anas or pies, I hope I'm saying that right, per um, sack of granite, um, pies being money uh not not actual pies so many pies make an anna and so many annas make a rupee um not rupees of zelda rupees as in the indian currency um so so there's a lot of talk about currency and it's it's kind of the currency gets mentioned a lot throughout the book to remind you of the poverty and to remind you of the value of having money um even if it's just to buy a little bit of jaggery or something like that just to make the meals a little bit more palatable so we see a little bit of all of the characters and as i say they all have their own storylines without giving away too many spoilers um kenny's storyline is that we see him go back and two back and two and he decides that he's going to try and build a hospital in the um for the people of the village again it seems very nice and very pleasant but we don't know if that's something that will later turn out to be exploitative like the tannery did because initially People liked the tannery because it, it gave them jobs and stuff like that. Um, everybody has different reactions. So some of Ruku's sons, um, they become very uh, angry towards the tannery and realize how exploitative it is and, and, and likewise with the, with the land and stuff like that. So there are rifts that appear in the family over political differences. Some of them feel that Ruku is too complacent towards the imperialist exploitation Ruku herself thinks, well, I can't control it, so all I can do is the best I can do. 
and you, you can relate to both sides of it. Um, but ultimately, they end up having there's some lovely moments, some really um, high moments, so a particularly nice scene. I remember around chapter 10 or 11 when it's Diwali. Uh, well, it, it's spelt differently in the books. I assume that's a dialectal difference, um, or perhaps I'm saying it in an anglicised way, in which case I apologise, but the Festival of Lights. Um, and they have the Festival of Lights at the village, and they're all making fireworks and things like that, and the big bonfire. And Nathan is dancing around with the children. He's usually quite a, a straight-laced, sort of stoic character, and he's, he's dancing about and, and just having a great time. And um, his wife comes up to him, uh, Ruku, and she's, she's saying that he's drunk and he, he's not been drinking. He's just very happy. And then he starts picking her up and dancing around with her. So you get this really nice moment of real genuine elation. Even when they are so poor and they have so little, they still have the family and they still take um, kind of pleasure in, in their lives. So I can't really reveal much from part two of the book other than to say that that introduces my favourite character in part two, Pully, who is a young um, uh, orphan boy who, who is a thief. He, he's had his, his hand, um, fingers cut off one hand, but he's a really charismatic and endearing character, and he, he really comes through for some of the other characters in the book. I really liked him. I can't tell you much else about part two because it would spoil the ultimate fates of all of the characters. Part two is essentially a long epilogue, um, to see what becomes of everybody and, and where they all end up. Um, but yeah, that, that's Nectar and a Sieve. Um, so let me jump into what I liked about it then. Um, I liked the characterization on the whole. Um, I love a grey area. I never like characters that are absolutes. I never like an absolute hero or absolute villain. I tend to like it when the characters are a bit more complex. And this book has that in spades um so everybody has something that i like my favorite characters were um nathan although he, he let me down at times uh era who never really let me down but she does some things that maybe she doesn't deserve to end up doing but that's just her circumstances uh and pulley and they were my favorite characters least favorite character was Kunti because she was sneaky and mean um, but you'll find that out yourself when you when you read it. Um, so the characterization was fantastic. Um, the description of all of the areas from the, the paddy fields to the farms to the temples to the inner city was, was all the prose around that was really nice. Some really nice description. Um, and I just enjoyed seeing this kind of big cast of characters, if you like, this these several generations um, and the journey through life, really. So it was just a very much... It wasn't necessarily a novel with a definite goal in mind. It wasn't one where you had a protagonist on a quest. It was just a real slice of life of a moment in time. And I believe uh, semi-autobiographical for Kamala Markandaya as well. I believe some of her own experiences in the in the book. So, um, yeah, it just came across as really earnest, really honest. Was it perfect? No. Um, in places, I found it very slow-paced, um, particularly towards the start of the book. Um, but the parts of it that are endearing and intriguing easily make up for it. And it's always going to be about individual interpretation. So the bits that I loved, you might not. The bits that I thought were boring, you might find very interesting. It's the kind of thing I would recommend to uh, my mum or my nana. Um, and the kind of thing that would get serialized into like a sort of six part television drama um, where it's all 
sort of slow-paced investigations into the characters and their own kind of dreams and, and desires. And you know what? That's not normally my kind of thing. Uh, but this book did a good job of that. And it was lovely to get to experience that moment in time and that culture because that's what this podcast is all about, is learning about other cultures through the literature. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you want to find out a little bit about India just over 100 years ago, there's there's worse places you could start than with this book. It's very honest account of how things were. Um, and it'll make you hungry, even though they're a poor family. Um, so my, uh, well, I was going to say father-in-law, I'm not quite married yet, but they, my, my to-be father-in-law makes fantastic dal. So every time I was reading it, I was thinking about eating some dal. Um, so they have dal and they have flatbreads and they have rice and things like that. And I'm a big Indian food aficionado, so I was hungry through a lot of it. You'll get this as a theme on my podcast that I'm just hungry all the time because I'm greedy. Um, but there's just certain cultures that are bound to, to make me hungry with the food that they have. Um, so could I recommend it? Yeah, absolutely, I could. For me, it's hovering somewhere between a 7 and an 8 out of 10. Um, if everything had been faster paced as it got towards the end, it would have been more like a 9. But I just felt like parts dragged their feet or, or there were scenes that I just didn't understand the relevance of. Of course, life is random and not everything that happens to us has to have relevance. But I just come from, and this is probably my shortcomings as a Westerner, I come from a literary background where I'm used to kind of every scene having a, an implicit meaning on the, the overarching story. And, and maybe that, you know, maybe that's a fault with me. That's not how I should think about stories, but it is. Um, and so for me, there were parts I struggled to engage with and potentially parts that are less significant to me because of my culture. I remember um, a psychological experiment where they told some Westerners a Native American story uh, and then they told the Native Americans that story. And the, it was, the challenge was to get them to memorize it and retell it. And they found out that the Westerners were leaving out really important parts of the story because they didn't get that, whereas the Native Americans were able to understand the significance of the symbolism of those things. So potentially there is that small lost in translation element there, but still a great book, still one that I'd recommend. Um, I think that is everything I really wanted to say on this one. Next week, we will be heading over to Korea to start our spooky season um because we've got halloween coming up it's not the only spooky book we're doing we're doing at very least korea and iran um i've just finished my korean book i'll be starting that podcast shortly and i'm currently reading the iranian horror story it's a classic um so i'm really looking forward to to doing those ones um so i will now stop talking and jump over to the outro where i tell you all my contact details and how to get hold of me before I do, I just want to say thank you if you're listening, thank you for your support, and please consider leaving a review for me, that would be really helpful, um, or sharing, or telling somebody about the podcast. Um, I do this in my spare time, I'm not looking to make any money out of it, but I am looking to try and hopefully spread the good word about world literature, so the more people I can reach, the better. Um, so yeah, I would really love that if you would give me a, a nice review, or if you would tell somebody about the podcast, that'd be great. Okay, over to me doing the outro. If you've enjoyed this edition of Book Around, please consider um, subscribing or following wherever you get your podcasts, so be that Spotify or iTunes or wherever it might be. Um, please consider following me on Instagram at Book Around Podcast or on Twitter at Book Around Pod. I also have a Facebook 
although I can't remember the app for it. But if you search Book Around Podcast on Facebook, you will find that. If you'd like to get in touch with me, whether to tell me I'm doing a good job or a rubbish job, or to tell me about any books you would like me to do, uh, my email is bookaround at outlook.com. So until next time, I hope you have a lovely day wherever you are, and book around and find out.